0: you could stand that half cut and rep better than these guys looks smart, him, and it's we are back with another episode of from the rafters sam and i are here recording on saturday april 10th after the celtics game versus the minnesota timberwolves had a mind fart there but uh we're here with our good friend adam taylor from celtics blog how you doing today man
1: hey what's going on man it's been a hot minute i'm doing well thank you thanks for having me on it's uh what's this the fourth time now fifth time Uh, it's got
0: to be you were the first ever guest outside of like just me and my friends that I ever had on the show so it's i i love love having you on and then obviously you introduced me to Sam who just does
2: the show now with some us. some would say the patriarch of, of from the rafters
1: <laughs> love I'm it i'm just uh i'm just happy to be him and always have a bunch of fun <laughs> with you too
0: appreciate it uh very much so uh you joining us and i uh, i guess we can start with the obvious jason tatum the last time we did a podcast uh, I put in the title Jason Tatum's sloppy offense, and he apparently had a vendetta against me or something because 53 points, career high, absolutely wild night against the Timberwolves. I, I mean, from where he was in those Knicks and Sixers games, it was just like a whole new player. He came out with a whole new fire out from under him. What did you see in that game? Obviously, he scored 53, so it was all good, but what what'd you see the big difference being Against like you know the times he was struggling against Philly and New
1: York, I think more assertiveness, right? Like for far too much of the year, we've seen him like settle for those um those step back frees from the perimeter. He likes to attack off each slot. Um, if he does ever drive, then he, I think it's always more to set himself up for that stop fade that he likes to use. Uh, whereas against the Timberwolves, I forgot to then my own brain fire against the Timberwolves, he was far more happy to get to the rim. He made a bunch of plays down there. One of a couple really stuck out to me finishing through Traffic. He used his frame a lot, got some free throws because of the the fact that he was being assertive and aggressive in the way he tried to get downhill. And then once you get going, the rim seems like fifteen foot wide, right? And then when you can really start ramping your perimeter production up. And I think he had a really good game going inside out rather than what we usually see of him trying to get hot on the outside before going in. Um just an all round like it was a very professional performance a veteran performance so, and to do it at his age and do it with the swagger that he did i thought that he had a great game man it's probably one of the best Tatum games i've seen
2: yeah i i completely agree with you adam i think it's really important for tatum to start off the game by going to the basket the the example i like to use is the game against milwaukee a few weeks back where he was really you know on fire and he had like a third quarter where he like didn't miss he got going by going to the hole and he sees the ball go through. And like you said, once you get going, the basket seems like it's 15 feet wide. Like, you, you took it right out of my mouth before I got my, uh, my chance to talk. Like, you nailed it. So, yeah. when He, he needs to make it a uh, point of emphasis to go to the basket to start off every game. Because he gets off to too many slow starts. And it makes it tough for the team sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, Boston have got a bunch of really good screeners. Like, uh, Tristan Thompson's great at setting screens. Robert Williams sprints into screens, which really creates that extra bit of space when you peel off them. Um, it's actually like a really underrated thing. Sprinting into a screen means that you've got a defender chasing, so there's always an extra gap to shoot. Um, so you've got those two guys. I think Jalen Brown's good at, uh, as a screen setter off ball as well. Uh, you see them run a few inverted screens where a guard will screen for a wing or a big. So they've run a lot of screening actions. But the problem, the problem for the most of the year has been the fact that those screening actions have ended up with mid range pull ups or some mid or some threes. Whereas against uh, the the walls, we saw the the play is actually run as right? Like we saw them create driving lanes and people were actually getting to the hoop. Tatum was a beneficiary. beneficiary. But we should see this more often because at the end of the day, I understand that four threes are more valuable than six twos and all of the analytics that go into it. That's me obviously simplifying it quite a bit. But you need to make those shots for them to be valuable at all, right? So if you, you go... Deep into the hole, you get to the rack, and then eventually you start working out once there's a rhythm there. I thought a lot of the Celtics did a really good job of that last night, not just JT. 100%,
0: yeah. I had some pretty harsh words for Tatum earlier this season. I believe the words were uh, glorified Marcus Morris. I think that was after the Hawks game where he dropped. like <laughs> He just didn't pass the ball. It, it was rough.
2: I, I was a little bit harsh on the guy, uh, considering what he's done. But I, I, I was secretly I just got harsh on the ISO. I'll own up to yeah. it. I, I didn't I didn't do it publicly. I was in our, our chat with Jack, and I was like, man, like, are we sure he's good? You know, like, the things he was doing, I'm like, yeah, he's putting up numbers, but is he really helping them win? Uh, he helped like them the win ISO. yesterday, for sure. The yeah. ISO
0: was just killing me all season. And yesterday, the driving and kicking and just the way they played offense was much better. But the isolation, like, were you seeing it too, Adam? The isolation was just kind of like, getting out of hand a little bit, or is that just me over-exaggerating?
1: No, it was body language for me, dude. It was like, I felt like he was looking off guys a lot. Like, he'd look off a good shot for a worse shot himself, you know? I felt like he was hunting it too much. And I don't think that wasn't him. Like, there's been a point where I've kind of questioned, has, has he bought into his own hype? Like, has he let the the early success of his career go to his head? And now he's, you know, and does that mean that we're going to end up with the new Carmen me? Like, a, a legendary scorer, but somebody that isn't conducive to a winning team. Uh, I genuinely believe now, I've come to the belief that I think he tries too hard to get going early. Puts a lot of pressure on himself to be one of the guys that carries the team. And when he doesn't get going early, he'll force the issue a bit too much, which is why we see the isos. And again, a lot of that can be solved by going to the rack. A lot of that can be solved by being a bit more passive. If it's not going for you, let somebody else get hot. And eventually the ball will find you again. And maybe you'll be in rhythm at the time that you find the ball. And you can finish it with an easy an easy two. Or an easy midi. And that will then take the lid off the basket and you can build up from there. So I think a lot of it is down to his age. But I've definitely seen him look off some of the guys that had have a better shooting area than him. Like, he'd get doubled. Look at Pritchard as if to say, yo, I'm going to give you the ball. And then just pull up for a double man contested <laughs> corner free. And you're like, what the hell are you <laughs> doing, dude? But I, again, I think that's just him putting pressure on himself to be that guy. And I just don't think you need to be that guy when there's three or four prime time score is on the floor Mm.
0: i was doing some research earlier this season and uh we all know the stats like jason tatum like takes the most isos but he's not efficient in them but the the funny thing i saw was this was like a few months into the season two spots below (laughs) two spots below jason tatum on that you know uh, how often did they take isolation, like shots, isolation percentage was Jeff Teague while he was with the Celtics, which was kind of disgusting. Like he was right in there with like CJ McCollum, Giannis, Jason Tatum. It was just like that. That's when my pure hatred for Jeff Teague came about. But speaking of the man, I mean, when the Bucks decided to sit everybody last night against the Hornets, which I know pissed you
2: was, off, Sam. They still lost. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they, the Celtics are trying lost. to climb up the standings a little and they sit everybody against the team that's above <laughs> the Celtics.
0: Yep. And uh, Jeff Teague pops off in his first start as a buck. But uh, yeah, I know. Uh, a lot of Celtics fans were happy to see him go. But on the same wavelength of trades, I wanted to get your thoughts on the <laughs> Daniel Tice trade in hindsight. Uh, and I, I know you were happy to see Jeff Teague go as well because I, I know he wasn't your personal favorite. But uh, The emphatic uh, nod <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube from Adam. <laughs> um, but I, I want your thoughts on the Jeff Teague trade in hindsight. And we can go as far as you know the M48 trade in hindsight as well because the guy hasn't really uh, – played much so yeah
1: so Daniel Tice right that's the one you want to talk about yeah yeah
0: yeah
1: I mean it sucks that his last game in a Celtic he misses a game-winning shot I I think that's like um that's a really bad way to go out when you've been as productive as what Daniel Tice is right like um Tice was one of the only bright spots for the Celtics during their struggles this year I think that he was super valuable he was super versatile in the way he operated as a pick man um, he'd pop for certain guys, he'd roll for other guys, short roll. He was just so versatile in the way that he could open driving lanes or open scoring opportunities for others. I think that he, him playing alongside Kemba um, gave us some of the best Kemba moments of the season as well. So seeing him go was kind of like, a oh man, this sucks. But you had to do it. This team is not worth going, paying the luxury tax for and it's definitely not worth being, facing a repeat tax for next year. Because if we're being honest, like this team is not going to win the championship this year. So get under the luxury, go back into it next year, and then pay the repeater in the year where you should have had enough internal development to actually be a contender. So I completely understand why. Plus, I think he was going to command a decent salary in the offseason. And if you're not going to be willing to pay what he's going to command, then try and get some form of assets back. You get a Luke at back, you get a Moe Wagner back. Both of them are unrestricted at the end of the year. If you don't like what they provide, they can leave. That's fine. At least you're under the tax. Uh, sucks, but he's like you know he's gone there to play back up to Vooch, And I think Chicago have had a little bit of a resurgence since those those trades went down. Um, I, I know they beat Brooklyn recently, um, so I, I'm okay with it. I think that he's gone to a, a an environment where he's going to get minutes. I think he's gone to an environment where he can impact the winning and the culture. And for Boston, it opens up the floor a little bit more for Rob Williams. You know, since Tyson's gone, Rob's kind of moved into that starting lineup, courtesy of Christian Thompson having COVID, unfortunately. But it's opened up the floor. Like now, you know that your big man rotation is Rob Williams and Christian Thompson. If you need a stretch big, you put Cornet in there. If you need somebody that has no clue what they're doing, you put Mo Wagner in there. Like it, it's completely <laughs> fine. Like, so you, oh, you, I feel like it's worked out quite well. It just sucked the, the way that Toys misses a game winner and then gets moved on. That was the bit that really hurt me the most.
2: What do you think of uh, Robert Williams' little bit of recent struggles? Do you put anything into that?
1: I mean, dude, you learn, you, you're you not playing against backup bigs anymore. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? And now you're dealing with guys like, I mean, one of the games where he struggled, he was up against Joellen B, the best big in the league. In my opinion. He's got um, another yeah. one tomorrow coming up. Nikola Jokic, but they're completely different battles because Jokic is going to be the playmaker he's going to run delay a lot for um, Denver where Embiid is more of a post presence, but both are so physical. And I think this is going to be where Rub realises like, yo, I need to improve technically from terms of a, a scoring standpoint and a defensive standpoint. But one of the biggest things I need to do is add some density to my frame, add some strength, because at the minute, one of the biggest things that I see him struggling with is the physical battle against some of these big guys. But he's going to get, he's gonna struggle against Jokic. He'll struggle when he comes up against Portland, if Nurkic plays. Um, there's going to be a few bigs that can really bully him physically. But I think we've seen some good flashes. You know, the playmaking, the short roll facilitation, the fact you can run him in handoffs, in weave actions. You can put him at the slot and ask him to set guys up. Put him on an elbow and ask him to run an elbow set. He's perfectly fine there too. He can score lobs, He can score putbacks. He can, you know, we saw some really good dominance on the glass when he first moved into this, into the starting lineup. But teams aren't going to just let that happen. They're going to scheme against you. They're going to look for ways to keep you out of the game. And I think until Rob gets real consistent with that mid-range jumper, um, we're going to see him struggle a little bit on offense outside of lobs and stuff. But for me, I think that the biggest thing for me now is he just needs to keep playing as a starter, getting reps against this level of talent. And he needs to put on some strength. He needs to add some form of density to that frame.
0: Yeah, I feel like there's going to be obvious growing pains. I mean, the guy hasn't had consistent starts until now in his career. He's barely had consistent had playing consistent time. Play, yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, you got to give him a chance to figure it out. And I think that was a big reason why the tie straight happened at all in the first place. So, uh, I think they're willing to give him that, you know, leeway a little bit. But another center on the roster, Tristan Thompson, called out. The ringer, Kevin O'Connor in one of his press conferences had a very uh, articulate, we'll say, <laughs> press conference as of late. What do you think of that? I mean, we've seen Celtics players firing back at the media in recent weeks. Do you like that? Do you think it, they're letting it get to them? I know there's two opposite viewpoints on
1: the matter. I mean, first of all, Kevin O'Connor is a Celtics blogger, alum. So um, I'm always going to have like, a bunch of respect for what Kevin's done and how he's built himself up. Like He's doing what we're all trying to do, right? Except he's been successful at it. So. I do think that from my perspective, unless I had three or four sources that confirm that, I probably wouldn't have put that out into the universe. Because if you're wrong, then, you know, players are going to call you on it. And even if you're right, players are going to call you on it. But at the end of the day, Kevin O'Connor is doing his job. That's what he's paid to do. You know, he's been given some information, he's paid to do this. So I don't think he was in the wrong for doing it. Um, I don't think Christian Thompson's in the wrong for firing back either. End of the day, like um, both guys are doing a job, and both guys have their opinion on how that job's going on. Uh, and even like, if I don't like someone, and I tell someone I don't like someone, like that doesn't mean I'm going to admit that I don't like them when questioned. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're right though. Yeah. yeah. If I if I work with them, like, and you know, if I'm working with someone and I'm like, man, and this guy's a bit of a dick. And then someone's like, yo, did, did you call me a dick? I'm like, oh, I have to work with you all the time. So I'm going to say, no, man, that guy, you know, that out, that's just outside noise. Forget about that. So we don't know what's true. Um, I just found it entertaining. I think it was a bit harsh to just name drop one guy when there was more than one reporter reporting on that. Um, but it was very articulate there's a lot of uh, good use, good good uses of um swearing vernacular. Yep. Oh, I, yeah. I think <laughs> yeah uh but sam, yeah i think? mean we asked, i asked taco I'll oh, go ahead go ahead
0: no no i i want to hear about taco hold up sorry sam i need to hear about it cuz nope. you interviewed
1: I wasn't taco say recently, anything. Right? I was just wiped my face yeah, yeah so we yeah. spoke, we spoke with taco about this um when was that? First day, maybe? Yeah, first day. Spoke with Taco about it. And Taco said, like, look, everyone's humans at the end of the day. Sometimes the media will overstep their boundaries. Sometimes players will overstep their boundaries. But there's a world where everyone can thrive, you know? Like, if players give media certain levels of access, the media are going to give certain courtesies back in the way they report things, in the way they shine lights on you. Um, but it's just, Taco was like, look, man, at the end of the day, Boston media is a tough, a tough nut. Everybody here expects um expects victory every day, and when you don't have it, to some overreactions. I don't agree with a lot of the media outlets portrayal of the Celtics this year. I think some of them are a little bit uh outlandish. I think some of them are a little bit uh, too much. I'm not going to name which outlets because you know if they offer me a job, I'd still take it. Um it <laughs> <laughs> so goes. <laughs> yeah, dude, it is what it is, you know. But there's a couple of outlets where I think maybe just maybe you you've you pushed this a little bit too far and you know, maybe this isn't at the ringer. Like obviously if the ringer offered me a job, I'd be like, Yes, but this isn't about the ringer, this is about Boston media. But I think maybe you're pushing it a little bit too far. Maybe the narratives you're pushing are a little bit impatient, I'd say. Like, you know, we can't you can't expect a team that's being led by a 22 and 21 23 24 year olds to be contending for a title this year if you did then i, I think you're a little bit crazy um it, but it is what it is dude it is what it is tacos it's similar it is what it is
2: i, I i'm the Celtics, for the players talking shit to the media jack i i think yeah, i think yeah. it just it, i mean why not like who why why is it i i wish they would be more um real if if you will like I like when, like, they they argue with other teams, guys on other teams. They don't act like they love everybody. Like, I have no problem with them calling out. Especially Jalen Brown kind of said, like, you know, he's had enough of the media. Like, that's fine. I mean, they're they're allowed to have voices. It's not like they're saying anything really terrible.
1: I took that one personally because I'd released a very negative article that morning. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm like, 155% sure it wasn't aimed at me. But, you, but you're just at the same time, you're like, man, could that have been aimed at me? <laughs> so you just don't know. Like, you know, it is it is what it is. Uh, I, I like them clapping back. I think that we need more of that. I think it uh, also makes social media a lot more fun.
2: That's right. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if it was aimed at, you know, me per se, i be like, I, I would have that. Are they talking about me? They're talking about me. Like, I'd be excited. Like, when uh, Marcus called out the Garden Report uh, earlier in the week, I, I messaged uh, – Jack and Tim because they've been helping out those guys. And I was like, "Do you guys hear that? Like, he was talking about like the show you guys do." Yeah, he's
1: a Sharad name dropped a Sharad yeah. straight up. But it, it like, like that, but like, that yeah, that's good. Like that's good. But at the at same time, like the media are doing their job. They're saying what they see, Very and true. if you disagree, then call them out on it and create a narrative and let that stuff flow publicly because that's good for everybody. There's no losers there. Do you know what I mean? As long as you can both like. Draw a line in the sand where you're like, right, we're willing to go up to this line, but we'll never cross it. And we can interact and we can snap back at each other. But this is where we stop. It never goes past here. I think that you could create really good dialogue. I think that would help the media world as well. Because the media world in general is struggling right now. So things like that actually really help.
0: And, and I'm sure if you put like Marcus Smart and Naishron Blakely in a room, it would be civil. Like I don't, I don't think there's any actual bad blood between the two. But like you said, it creates a narrative, and it, it makes good business for both sides. Like in, just like the reporters are allowed to report what they see, the players are allowed to call out those reporters if they disagree. So I mean, both of them are doing their job, like you said,
1: and I think it's good. But uh, I mean, the players of- are always going to disagree. Exactly. <laughs> if I write an article saying someone played trash, he's going to be like, "Well, no, I didn't." And then it's my job to be like, well, yes, you did. You really, really did. You know, because I wouldn't write because, but it is, it does, it creates, it creates great narratives, man.
0: Exactly, exactly. And, uh, I mean, speaking of two sides that don't always disagree, um, I, I, I want to talk about the refs because I'm not going to say that they've been bad as of late, <clears throat> per se. They've been, they've been horrible, Jack.
2: <laughs> oh, and like they, they really have. Yeah. And We talked about this Wednesday, Thursday, whenever the last time we did this, and I was saying like maybe it's not the refs, maybe it's the rules, which could also be true. But last night, Embiid's a great player. They were kind of bad because Embiid's a great player, and you know he can take. You know I'm not
0: going to say he's taking advantage of the refs. He's taking advantage of the rules, maybe laid out by the NBA. Embiid's an MVP level player, like you said, Adam. I would agree. I think he's the best center in basketball right now. His ability to get the line, he's taken two less free throws than the Celtics have in 76ers versus Celtics matchups this season. That's egregious. Like, that's absolutely ridiculous. And then even looking at the Timberwolves game last night, Tatum gets a tech for bouncing the ball, but then Cat can scream at the refs consistently for the entire game and not get one. Like, that makes no sense. There's, it's, it's less so that they don't make the right calls, which they don't sometimes, usually. and It's no consistency. There's no consistency to the way games are called. Like, between refs, between the same ref, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And, and I'm curious as to your thoughts on them so far this season, Adam.
1: So I try not to ever blame the refs for anything, just because exactly. I'm like, yeah. it's a cop yeah. out, right? And I just think that they're doing a tough job to begin with. But I'd say this, like, I watched that game, that Minnesota game this morning. I watched the qu- first quarter last night, and the refs were just calling every single. Like, I was like, dude, I'm going to be here till five in the morning. I'm not doing this. I'll watch it when I wake up. So I turned it on about eight a.m. and it the third I think it was the third quarter, it was like every possession the whistle was going, like literally every possession there was a foul or somebody there was moving screens or there was three second violations and it's like oh my god let the game flow like it's okay if it gets a little bit physical. You know, Marcus Smart takes an elbow to the back of the head like we're in WWE or UFC, and that's a traveling violation. It's not—it's not a flagrant. Like, no, dude, that's a flagrant. He hooked his head with his elbow. That's a flagrant. Um, I do think that they're calling a little bit too much. I think they're being too strict with these rules, and I, I genuinely think it's bad for the NBA as a whole. Like, it becomes an unwatchable product. Like, if I wasn't covering that game, if I didn't have to watch it because it's the team that I cover and. You know, it's a career night for their best player. If this was just any other team on any other night and the refs are calling fouls every 10 seconds, I'm turning it off because that is not enjoyable. And I think for the NBA as a product, the way the refs are calling these fouls at the moment and how much there's a saying in in soccer where the ref wants to be a player so badly that he'll make decisions just to be the focal point. Um, it feels like that with the with the with the refs in the NBA. Sometimes, like they want to be the focal point of that game, so they're going to call absolutely everything. And um, again, I think it's more of an issue for the NBA as a product than it is for a, a team winning or losing a couple of extra games. But dude, it, sometimes it can just kill kill a game. And last night, especially in the third and the second, uh, I think it just destroyed that game.
2: Yeah, it, isn't it funny, like? I feel like the refs have done really like poorly lately. Like it wasn't a problem for me. Like I can't remember anything probably besides the first two Philadelphia games that I was really like, damn, like they're horrible. But like over the last couple weeks, it has been rough. And the problem I have is not so much. It might not be the refs, but I think the rules suck. I, I don't like the sh- the shooting foul rules on jump shots as much, which I know they're going to look into. Thank goodness. But I think they also disrupt the flow of the game a lot and it makes hard it makes it hard for teams to uh <laughs> go on runs and uh things like that, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, just like
0: the way they've been calling it, like Embiid getting to the free throw line and like obviously Trey Young,
2: James Harden. Do you see a problem with those shooting foul calls the way they're called? I know you said they're calling. The stuff Brad too Beal much call stuff. last night. I don't know if you saw it. That I, I was out, I didn't have sound on the TV when I saw it. And to me, I was like, did they just call timeout and then I he was shooting a free throw. I said, he got fouled on that? I, don't
1: I mean know all that. I mean, if there's contact from behind when you're shooting, it's a foul, right? And like um both Harden and Trey have mastered what's called um the via step. So it's like a Euro step, but you don't Euro step, you kind of you step across your defender's body and then you that's a veer step. So then it's meant to mean that you can like seal your man, put him in jail and finish around the rim. But what it also means is if you veer step and hard stop, that guy's crashing into the back of you, it's a foul. And you can put guys in foul trouble doing that. If you hard stop and then time it and go into shooting motion, now it's a shooting foul. And Trey Young and Harden have both mastered that veer step into a shooting motion, which hugely sways the um the, the balance, right? The scales towards them for being able to get to the line. Uh, I think Jalen Brown's tried to add that to his game this year It just and he was getting to the foul line quite consistently he's just not very good at scoring from the foul line at the moment uh, but that will come uh, but no I don't think that's an issue I think that there should be somewhere in the rules like if you're foul hunting you know there should be some form of penal p- penalisation towards you because you're then the players are destroying the flow of the game like, I think that my biggest thing at the moment is the flow of the game right the fact that there's so many ways to draw fouls and stop that flow and go to the free throw line where the action isn't happening. And I, I like, if you're trying to grow the NBA as a brand and bring in more casual fans and more fans that just turn up. Like if I don't know nothing about a sport, like it's why I don't watch baseball, right? I turn on baseball. It's the slowest thing on earth. I'm like, what's going on? I'm, I'm, I'm tired. And I've literally just clicked on. I don't understand. what's going on. Why is this, why is this guy still on the bat? It's it like, it's took like four days and he's still on the bat, Like, and I can understand people clicking onto an NBA game and be like, foul, oh, free throws. Two minutes later, foul, side out. Foul, baseline out. Foul, foul, foul. Eventually, you're going to be like, I'm not watching this. This is boring. Do you know what I mean? And I think that that's where there needs to be somewhere, some way of decreasing the amount of whistles that are happening during games. Because this year, it's been... I'll keep going back to that New Orleans game in New Orleans where it went to an overtime and it went on for nearly three and a half hours. And I was like, bro, this is an NFL game at this point. If I wanted to watch a four-hour sporting event, I'd watch the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? So for me, it's definitely more along the lines of what it's doing to the to the league as a brand than what it means to a single game because you can make that win back up. And generally, you know, if you're not savvy enough to avoid fouling, then you deserve to be fouled out or to have the delay game. But it is frustrating. Also, I want to say that I go I asked Jack a question in the chat and I want to just give it a shout. He's wearing the sickest Sesame Street hoodie I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Yeah, I'll show
0: it up. It's got like half skeleton. It's a little grotesque, but like you know, pretty cool,
2: right? I like it. It's like a, a champion, champion collab. I'm in big
1: bird and you know, yeah, Cookie dude. monster.
2: <laughs> pretty dumb game. I'm in
1: the Sesame Street, man. That's like so 90s, bro.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like I like all the champion collabs they do. Like, I have this one with, like Cinnamon Toast Crunch with the champion collab, which is pretty cool. It's got like them on the side. So I, I just like all the collabs champion does. So uh, I'm a big fan of the Sesame Street. It's comfy too. Champion
2: makes the best hoodie. Shout out! Oh, shout out for Real. Oh yeah. So. Um. Yeah, were I, I want to go oh, back refs, before yeah. we move on. The the via step, Adam, right? That's like say say they're driving, they cut them off with their body to go across on like a on a layup or something to seal the defender. And now a quick word from our sponsor. That's yeah, what so it is. You,
1: so you'll be driving and you, so you're say you're driving the lane and your defender is one step behind. So he's basically on your hip, right? You take your opposite foot to the ball hand. So if your ball's in the right hand and you step across with the left. And then straighten up and go forwards, and you're basically just putting them from the one heap you're putting them directly behind you. it's just it's like half a euro step you you step across the defender's body and that's a Veer step and you usually do it as part of the gather step, but you can also do it as part of um you know you can do it and then kind of come to a hard stop um gotcha i'll I'll send some videos over to you guys, but it's definitely it's a very useful move you see a lot of um high level finishes use that move, and it's usually guards that does it. Right,
2: the the problem I have with like the the fouls is jump shooters are looking for contact, and like, like they get rewarded. Like Lucas jumps Luka. into defenders. Yeah, that's the, what well, the, the jumping. Means. If you if you pump fake and jump into someone, I feel like that's a little different. But like if you are taking like when they come off the of screens, like Kemba does this, and I don't like it. And Marcus will do it. It's just not natural for them to try and like. If you're shooting a jumper, you don't want to be going into somebody. You want to be getting a good look at the basket. I think it's a problem that guys are getting rewarded for doing something
1: that's not natural. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're jumping forwards, you don't have the right shooting motion. So you're shooting unnaturally naturally anyway. You can't get a good release point by jumping forwards. You have to jump up vertically and reach an apex before release. Um, So that's why I think you'll see a lot of these smaller guys like Canva, like Marcus, try and draw those fouls because – You'll peel off the screen, and if you've got a big man switched onto you, it's very hard to score like that. It's very hard to pull up vertically and shoot over a seven-foot guy. So what's the best thing to do? Take take advantage of his lack of mobility and jump into him and then get that three-point shooting foul. And I understand why they're doing it. It's actually quite smart. But at the same time, like if you've got a big switched onto you, forget shooting a three. Just put him in a blender and get to the rim. You know yep. you're going to have He doesn't do yeah, it You've got speed and mobility, so cross that guy up and get moving downhill. And when the help defense comes, kick it back out to the corner, and there's your free ball. And that's where my anger comes from because I'm like, stop shooting straight off the screen. Use the switch to your advantage. Draw that help there, and then you can get an easy free from the opposite side from the weak side corner. It, it's just it makes so much sense to me. I'm I'm like, dude, I I don't understand. Either I don't understand what's going on well enough. Or these guys just are driving me insane.
0: I think it's the insanity thing. I know. I know. Sam and I talked about you know Tatum in the corner and specifically. I think it was the Embiid game. If you have Embiid switched on to you, why are you taking a step back three when you can? I mean, you're Jason Tatum is faster than Joel Embiid. That's not news, right? Like you can get by him, you can get crafty, get to the rim. But uh, he was just you know. Yeah, he elects
2: out. for the side step or in the step backs over these bigs, and I think. It, it leads to him having inefficient nights because he can just get an easy look and we saw him do it yesterday, which is why he played so well. Uh he doesn't do it enough. He needs to have like an awakening when he sees somebody that's as big as him or bigger in front of him, he needs to go to the basket instead of trying to shoot over him. It just doesn't make sense. Like you said, Adam, taking taking them to the basket, you're either going to get an easy layup or an easy three. There's no there's no uh difference.
1: Yeah. And then worst case scenario, you go to the foul line. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay, you might get blocked. You might get banged up a little bit. But guess what? This is the NBA. If you don't want to get blocked, go up and under on the rim so the rim maxes your block protection. If you don't want to get banged up, Eurostep, there's, there's ways around things. And I think that by not penetrating, you're just giving teams so much ability to pressure the ball on the perimeter and then you shot clock's down to three seconds and you're jacking up contested threes. And we've seen too much of that. Because you know there's going to be no penetration because it's not what Boston want to do. So we're just going to pressure the perimeter and we're going to push up into your grill, and uh, it it just never ends well.
0: Yeah, and I think that Knicks game and then this game against Minnesota, the Celtic or the Celtics have moved forward with you know the aggressive approach. Obviously, Jalen Brown had a super aggressive game against the Knicks, and then Jason Tatum did it, and it worked so. Uh, I think that has to be a big part of the game plan moving forward. But I kind of want to shift gears a little bit because I had a question I wanted to ask you about Romeo Langford so far. But I want to kind of make it a little bit broader and ask you What do you think about Romeo? (laughs) You want to talk about Romeo? Go
1: ahead. No, go ahead. I'm joking. (laughs)
0: Well, I mean, it it does include Romeo. I want to ask you. So I think Evan Fournier, Tristan Thompson are going to be those first two guys off the bench when everyone's healthy. I think the vets who need that presence. But those are definitely good
2: guys to have. They've, exactly. they've been playing really well, especially Fournier. He left missing back in March, except he just got COVID. So. Yeah,
0: but past that, I think you could make an argument that Pritchard could be a lock in there too. But that ninth guy off the bench moving forward this year and in the playoffs, is that going to be Romeo? Is it going to be Grant, who you know Brad Stevens has been pleased with, he said in his post game, Is it going to be Shemi? Uh, I want your thoughts on who you think that should be, because obviously Romeo, uh, you can talk about his play so far, whether or not he's earned it. And then even if you don't think Pritchard should be getting some of those minutes, and you think it should be given to a wing instead. Uh, I want your thoughts on that, you know, sort of 8-9 spot in that locked rotation for the Celtics.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Pritchard's earned that spot. I don't think that's any... Um, Pritchard's play is the reason why Jeff Teague isn't here now. You know, Peyton Pritchard went into the season with a battle for um, backup point guard on one. Um, so at the end of the day, this rookie, is uh, he's got deep three-point range. He can facilitate. He can run the pick and roll. He pushes the pace. I think that I think that Pritchard's the luck for that rotation there as the eighth guy. Um, when after that, I genuinely think it's going to be matchup dependent. Personally, I think Romeo gives you more. He's got more. He's got more length. He's, he's fast. He can handle the rock. He can score on all three levels. Although he's quite shaky around the rim at the moment, uh, I've been very vocal with the fact that he's another guy that needs to add some bulk to his frame because he just cannot absorb contact right now. It's so easy to knock off his line. Um, that's a big issue for him because he's a. He, you cannot be a slasher in the league and not absorb contact. So I think that maybe that might hinder him. Uh, he's definitely flashed some improvements from his three point shooting. He looks quite, quite smooth. His mechanics are nice. His release points. Nice. Um, Grant Williams just gives you great defense. And the thing is, he's forming a partnership with Christian Thompson. that's really working at the moment. Two physical guys at the five and the four that are both switchable, both can switch down positions, both can switch, uh, well, Grant can switch up a position to guard the five, cover Tristan Thompson. Um, I think that them two there are going to form a partnership that's going to make it hard to leave Grant out. I just don't think that Grant gives you the offensive versatility as what Romeo does. So I genuinely think it's going to be matchup dependent. And I think that once the playoffs come around and it gets locked into an eight or nine man rotation, we'll see Grant and Romeo kind of flick him out of that rotation, depending on what adjustment Brad's making game to game. Uh, one guy that isn't going to be in there, I don't think at all is Neesmith. And uh, that sucks. You know, as a lottery pick is what it is. He could have really done with a G league this year. Um, but yeah, I think long-term it's probably going to be Grant. If Shemi gets any minutes, I'm going to be furious. Um, if I'm being quite honest. No, 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 no disrespect to him, but I think of that, you course, know, yeah. you build Grant up at that point, if, you, if you're going to be building someone up, you build Grant up, whether or not you want to keep Grant around beyond this year, that's a different story, but at least help build his value. I, I
2: think uh, Grant's been really impressive this week. I mean, Jack, he's had back-to-back games where he hasn't scored, but you knew he was out there and he was making an impact. Played he really well yesterday guys. against Minnesota. <laughs> had some big plays against the Knicks. Dove on the floor. I remember you were like, well, yeah, he had a big night. And I was like, all I remember him is diving on the floor. I was like, you were like, well, that's all you need, right? So, yeah, he, he plays hard. And if he is able to um, get in the playoff rotation, you're right. Shemmy doesn't have a spot because he's like they, – they play the same role. And for me, for some reason, I, I'm in love when Grant shoots threes. I always feel like it's going in. I have this supreme confidence in his open looks. And Shemmy, I don't have that. And he had a rough go yesterday from what I remember. Shemi did a solid job guarding Cat, I will say.
0: That that was a good role for him. Carl Anthony Towns was a lot whinier than I remember yesterday.
2: Yes, he, he was.
0: He's <laughs> very vocal. Very. Uh, <clears throat> I can see why him and Joel Embiid got into a fight last season. Uh, two clashing personalities <laughs> right there. But uh, Yeah, I-, I also wanted to ask you, Adam. I-, I know some people are seeing this Minnesota game as a bad thing because, oh – you know, Jason Tatum scored 50 and it went to overtime like what that Minnesota is so bad. But some people are saying this was one of the first games of the season, you know, outside of that Knicks one that the Celtics were able to band together and get a win in the clutch. So w- which perspective are you kind of taking or is it just a mix of both for that?
1: Now that it's way? completely the second perspective. I think that far too often we've seen the Celtics fall behind and then just like feel sorry for themselves and start licking their wounds while the game's still going on. Um, we've seen them try and hit home runs, like just keep shooting from free, trying to dig yourself out. This was like, like I agree with this, like that Knicks game feels like it was a turning point. It feels like they were like, right, we're a physical team. We haven't been physical all year. Now it's time to really start be asserting ourselves again. You go down big against um, a, a Minnesota team that really spread the defense out, man. They play a really high velocity five out brand of basketball with some great penetrators. So you fall down like that, you've got two options. You either start licking your wounds, as we've seen them do against teams way worse than Minnesota. I think I think Detroit are a worse team than Minnesota. Detroit whooped them. like You know what I mean? So to come back and grind your way back into the game, then get in, in front and then fail to close out that game in the fourth where Mini make a bit of a run themselves down the stretch and then still come back and win it in overtime – like that—that's great. That—that's progress. That's something that you needed from Boston. It doesn't matter how you win, right? Let's go look at that Fast and Furious quote. Does, you know, winning's winning inch or a mile. It doesn't matter if it's first overtime, second, third. The end of the day, you came in, you went down early, you took some haymakers, and you pitched yourself up off the floor, and you ended up managing to figure out a way to win. And that's what the Celtics have missed all year. So, uh, people that are saying, "Oh, they should have beat the Timberwolves," like, so what? So it went to overtime. So what? You got the win, right? Like would you everyone would have preferred Boston to come out and, and dominate from the opening tip. But that's just not how life is. So I'm I'm really happy to see them kind of battle through that adversity.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think uh two things. One, Minnesota's for sure better than their record. At least last night they were. They've got uh just about everybody healthy now. They were without towns for quite some time, D'Angel Russell for some time. Now they finally got all their guys, they gave the Celtics a good run. And I think Marcus Smart deserves a lot of the credit for the um, revival last night of the dead Celtics, along with Tatum, who had an excellent scoring night. But he was really the guy for me in the third quarter that was, you know, taking everybody and saying like, "Let's go here, come on!" Like we're still in the game, and he made some huge plays defensively, hustle plays. They had um, a stretch where they forced three or four turnovers in a row. It was it was good basketball. Finally seeing them play like the Celtics again.
0: Yeah, ironic that both Knicks games were kind of the turning points of the season, in my mind at least. You got that first point. <laughs> first 25-point blowout, and then everything kind of went downhill. And then after this one, hopefully we can see that upward trend uh, coming along again towards the playoffs. But that's the next thing I wanted to talk about. And we can expand it past just the Celtics because I, I would argue that the Western Conference is far more interesting than the Eastern Conference this year. Because you got the top three in the East, and then it's just kind of like splat. You got Celtics within that group that's just struggling. But East the Western Conference, I mean, you, have, I think you have so many more interesting teams. Like the Suns this year are so good after being so bad for so long. The Jazz this year, the passing and everything they're doing. The Nuggets, Jokic is just unlike anything you've ever seen. And Aaron Gordon fits into that team perfectly. And I, I'm just a big Blazers guy because I love Dame Lillard. So that entertains me as well. So I, I want to see where your mind's at for the playoff predictions. Uh, we can go to the West and the East. It doesn't matter. But is it, like, t- questions like, is an L.A. team a lock for the finals? Is it, you know, definitely going to be the Nets? So, I-, I want your thoughts on that. I see you nodding. So, you think it's definitely going to be L.A. versus
1: Nets or something like that? Yeah, short of, like, a huge surprise, I think it's Lakers-Nets.
2: Sure hope not. <laughs> yeah, me too. That, but it's a lose-lose like, lose for us.
1: Kyrie the wins the Lakers or... win. Yeah. Oh. I mean... Look, I don't think there's a team in the East that can beat Brooklyn. I think that the best the team that matches up best with them is Philly. I've said that for a while. Philly's got size, they've got length, they'll be able to disrupt what Brooklyn try and do on the offensive end, and Brooklyn won't have answers or legitimate answers for Embiid. Uh but I just think that, you know, you can disrupt as much as you like at the end of the day. When you're trying to disrupt KD, he's gonna give it to Kyrie. Trying to disrupt Kyrie, he's gonna give it to um Harden. If all three of them are struggling, you've got Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge coming off the bench. You've got, I said this on a podcast I was on recently. Effectively, you've got a starting five that are all Hall of Fame lucks. or there's four Hall of Fame locks and a questionable. But it's basically, Disgusting. yeah, Disgusting. It's, basic, it's basically a Hall of Fame team. So at the end of the day, who's going to beat them in the East? I just don't see it happening, unfortunately, especially when you've got Mike D'Antoni as an assistant coach. Like he was just gonna draw up some like ridiculous ideas and schemes. Like it's just not happening. And then in the West, I think that while the Suns are good, while the Jazz are good, while Blazers are okay at the moment, while you know, at the end of the day, it's a similar thing out in LA, right? Like LA have just got so much size. They're like the Manstars, dude. They, they are, they're freakishly tall, freakishly long, they're all strong. They've got some good three point shooters, great penetrators. Schroeder was a great pickup for them this year. Um, Drummond was Meh, you know, it's Drummond at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> but you've got LeBron and AD, the best pick-and-roll duo in the league. And everyone knows in the playoffs, half-court, pick-and-roll's going to reign supreme. Uh, they've just got too much there. So I think it's going to come down to a Brooklyn LA finals. The team I could see shocking everybody and like really making a deep West Coast run in the playoffs is Phoenix. I hope so.
0: Really? I thought you were gonna go Denver there. That would be my pick at least. But
1: uh I just I think yeah. Chris Paul's gonna come into this lot. I don't know how many more playoffs I've got left. And I've got Devin <laughs> Booker, I've got DeAndre Ayton, you know, just so Bridges is there. Um oh, geez, you've got so cool. yeah, Jay Crowder's just like you put him on a team if you want him to overachieve anyway. There's a like, there's a lot of good leadership on that um Phoenix team. Hmm.
0: They're good. They're scary good man.
2: Sam, what do you think about the oh, playoffs man. this year? I,
0: I know a, I know a Philly Brooklyn and then the versus the L.A.s would be an absolute nightmare. I'd rather be –
2: I don't know because, see, like, as much (laughs) as I dislike Brooklyn and I don't like Kyrie, like, their fans are very quiet. But If Philly was to win, their fans would let you know. That's the problem. It would
1: be worse if Milwaukee won.
2: Yeah, Milwaukee fans are awful too. So, like, you, you can't win here unless the Celtics, like, hulk up and figure some miracle out and beat everybody, which they probably won't. Unfortunately, but you've got all those teams above them. It's tough. I mean, you, for me, I'm rooting for somebody out west to beat the Lakers, who are plummeting in the standings with everybody out. You never know. You got to watch the Clippers, man. They got Rondo now. You you'd be. In, that's not a sarcasm thing. He's going to come to play in the playoffs. There you go. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I they've the got Celtics Ty Lewis, the coach, man.
1: man. Sure. Got Ty Lewis the coach, which means uh, I don't rate them at all.
2: Very true. Very true. He's just gonna do a lot of standing around with his mouth open,
0: <laughs> like Nick Nurse in the playoffs. I mean, the, the Raptors are a whole other yeah. story. They're
2: Glad they're not. They're in.
0: in a shambles this year. Do Do you think the Raptors are gonna make the play in at all? Uh, do you think they'll figure it out, or do you think they're just gone this
1: season, Adam? I think if, I think they've got a chance. Like it's hard for them, right? They're not even play, like their home games are still away games. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's hard and. I just don't know what's going wrong there, to be quite honest with you. I mean, but the the thing with Toronto is they're one of these teams that they'll struggle for a year and then a couple of their younger guys will just take this huge leap and they will be a nightmare again next year. So I don't think they're going to mind too much. You know, you miss the plane, you get a decent draft pick, bring in somebody else to help with that production line of talent that you've got going on there. I mean, their future's bright. OG and Anobi, Chris Boucher, is it Boucher? Boucher. Boucher, yeah. Boucher, yeah, Yeah. because of Bobby Boucher. Um, Chris Boucher, and then you know, Gary, Trent. His... Gary, Gary Trent. Trent.
0: I don't get that trade for Portland at all. Like, why would you? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. They need shooting, man.
1: Me. Powell gave them a shooting, dude. Um, oh, Gary Trent's so good, though. He, this I, is the thing, right? Like, this is what Toronto do. They just pick up, they just find a way of like maximizing young talent. So I'm not sure whether they'll make the play in this year. I'm not sure whether they'll make the playoffs, but I'm damn sure that in the next 18 months, they're going to be a force again.
0: Do you have any sneaky picks in the East outside of, like, the Celtics heat? Like, I'm talking, like, the Hornets Hawks, you know, pay, Knicks type of teams that you don't usually see in the playoffs. So you could say, hey, they could they could win a play-in game. They could make it a fight in the first round. Like, who's your favorite, like, sleeper team in the East? So it was
1: Charlotte until LaMelo was out for the rest of the year or for the majority of the year. Um, I think that's going to hurt. And then losing Hayward for the next, like, four to six weeks is going to kill. The, I think that kills a lot of their momentum. Um, I think the Knicks now I think the Knicks are going to be the team that really struggle that really shock everybody they're just so good defensively dude and they're so destructive and then you know RJ's taken a huge jump over the last few weeks um, he's become a really good player had a great game last night um, I think that quickly is a very underrated point guard that deserves I think to be one of the first guards like the first, one of the first guys off the bench for them uh, they've got some like, and I just like the way they play. Man, they play, the play with a chip on the shoulder. So if I was going to have to choose a sleeper team, with everything that's going on in Charlotte right now, then it'd have to be New York. Isn't it
2: funny that's- that Chicago hasn't climbed at all since they made <laughs> all those big moves? Because they, they, you know, if you asked this question a couple of weeks ago, that would have been my answer. Oh, Chicago is going to be a little bit more of a force towards the bottom of the conference now, but in. You said they beat the Nets, but they lost. Uh, three and seven Zach Levine scored last 50 night. last night. They lost. And, like, they lost by, like, 10. Like, it wasn't even really close.
1: I think, what did they, 3-7 played...
2: over the last 10? Something
1: yeah, Vuce like that. Vuc has been struggling, dude. Vuc has been struggling to acclimate. He, um, he really struggled to hit shots for a while. I haven't seen anything from yesterday's game yet, so I don't know how he played it individually. But I think they've got the pieces there. But I think that, at the same time, like, you need to let them gel, right? Like that was a big roster blow up. Like a lot of new pieces came in. A lot of pieces went out. Uh, I think they're going to be good. Like I don't even class them as a sleeper team anymore. You can't make that many moves and be classed as a sleeper team when you bring in like an all-star big man. And then they made a couple of other moves as well. You've rung in Daniel Tice. I think they'll be okay. But um, maybe they're happy with not being good this year, having some really good pieces, getting a decent sized draft pick, and then coming back next year. Uh, But they're going to be a good team. They they are. I I think their perimeter defense is is like ridiculously underrated.
0: I also wanted to ask you about the Heat and the Pacers, because obviously the Raptors have their own issues playing in Tampa. What's going on there? I mean, Pacers, I feel like, have the pieces to be a better team than they are. The Heat have picked it up lately, but they were struggling for a while, and now is out because of some weird injury. So what's been going on in those two places, do you think? Is it just a matter of the weird season or...?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that you know Miami missed Bam for a while. They missed Jimmy for a while. Then they've missed. Um, I think Dragic missed a bit of time too. Uh, so they've they've had their own injury issues, their own personnel problems. I think that Jay Crader was a bigger loss for them than what they thought. Who did they replace him with? Was it Mo Harkless? Um, yeah, and then they shipped I, him out too. Yeah, because I don't think that. I think they've struggled to replicate that backup wing position. Uh, I just think that they're aging as well, dude. Like a couple of these guys that helped make a run last year, Iggy, Goran, like you know, they're they're older guys. Their legs aren't there. So when you put them in a position where the season shortened, but there's still a bucket load of games, you're going to struggle a bit because you don't have the young guys with the legs. And so I think that's part of it. I, I think they're too good to suck for long. I think Spolstra's too good to <laughs> let them suck. Um. Yeah. Indiana's a bit different, right? Like, I haven't really kept up with them, to be honest with you. They're a team I haven't really let hit my radar too much. Uh, so I honestly couldn't give you a fair answer. I don't know who's been missing from... But they're good, dude. Sabonis, so Brogdon, Turner, like, Aaron Holliday's... LeVert now. LeVert, dude. Like, they're, they're good. Uh, but again, it's not a team I've watched enough to have a fair opinion I've I've watched a fair amount of Miami. I haven't watched enough... Um, enough Indiana to be making any form of like grand like, this is the problem because i just don't know i just genuinely <laughs> gotcha. don't
0: know gotcha and then you got tj mcconnell putting up what 19 and 15 off the bench some nights he's had two like 15 plus points 15 plus assists this season for them which is kind of crazy I-, I would like tj connell on the Celtics, but i'd like anybody. Yeah, he'd be a good player can play the playmaker uh for, <laughs> for the team off the bench but uh that's all the questions I had, Sam. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up before we start to? Yeah, you were talking
2: about the uh, the next eighteen months for the Raptors. What do you think the next eighteen months for the Celtics are going to be like? Do you think they have, uh, like, what do you what do you want to them to do going forward in the off season? Well, what's the ideal off season
1: for you, Adam? For me, I think uh, a lot of it's just based on internal development for me, right? Like, I, I want them to really put some time into getting good coaching plans to, to improve Neesmith, to improve Romeo, some good strength and conditioning plans. So, you know, Romeo and Robert there for me. A lot of people are like, well, the first thing you need to do is move Kemba. And that's great in theory, but what are you getting back? How How is moving? Like my argument is if, every, if Kemba's this, such a net negative as what everybody's saying he is, you're going to get nothing back. You're sending him out with a pick to get back somebody that's going straight on the scrap heap. You're only getting worse. So I think that a lot of their off-season moves depends on how Kemba plays during the playoffs and if he can redeem some of the value around the league to get a, at least a, a, a semi-valuable asset back in return. Uh, I think I'd like to see them add um, add another wing defender. I think I'd like them to see them... I want them to move on from Shemi. I want them to make a decision with a couple of these young guys and be like, right, this guy's not part of the future. He can go. This guy's not part of the future. Let's try and package these and, you know, just move off them for a vet or move off them for somebody that's productive. But what's the point in paying Carson Edwards next year? What's the point? Like, you know what I mean? So find a way to move on from Carson Edwards. No disrespect to him, but he's not impacting the game. He's taking up a roster spot because he's a fully contracted. He's a fully guaranteed guy. He's taking up cap space. Let's move on from him. Let's bounce him. Uh, What are we going to do with Grant or Shemmy? Is Grant now going to be able to create a role for himself at the four? Is he not? No. Let's move on from him. You need. This is how I'd. Be, I'd be really vicious with it. Like, right, we want to contend. Are these guys ever going to be good enough for us to contend with? If the answer's no, see you later. Let's move on. Um, and then I'd like to see them look for some more veterans, but some smart veterans. Don't be bringing in no more Jeff Teagues. And if you can move, <laughs> if you can move on from Canberra and get somebody back that's you know half decent, then fine. Do that too. open up some cap space. But I don't think there's any one major move you can make. I think the biggest major move you need to make is re-signing Fournier. Um I think that that's a win in the off season. If you can keep re-sign Fournier, um, then I think you're gonna be okay. But I, I just don't buy into this narrative of the first thing you need to do is move Kemba. Because if you look at the way the team's been this year, when Kemba plays the team wins. When Kemba doesn't, the team doesn't win. Like right. they struggle, right? Like it's a and lot he's harder. improved every like Massively. month. Yep. I get it, he shoots some shots, you know, he he had a bad bad shooting like last night, but teams have to respect him. Teams have to push upon him when he's got the ball, so that means other guys are back-cutting people because there's the space available, because Kemba's got the ball in his hands. If you go and trade him and get back a, I don't know, a Pat Bev, you know what I mean? What what does that do for the team? Like, <laughs> how, how does that improve you in any sort of way? Because don't even improve the defense, because you've already got Marcus Smart. Right. So I, I'm very like, um, it's all well and good saying move on from Kemba, but I think Kemba's more valuable than what people are thinking. And I genuinely think that Kemba is the new Gordon Hayward for this team. Nobody values his contributions. And when he goes, everyone's going to be like, oh, man, you see, this is what we miss Kemba, man. We need Kemba back. Just like they did with Hayward last year. And just like you hear now, like, oh, this team's really missing Hayward. No shit. We were saying that for a year. <laughs> but no one, you know what I mean? So it, it's tough. It is tough.
2: There you go. And you, you think I feel they're like gonna be he's... able to sorry. Sorry. No, yeah. you're good. Go ahead. No, go you ahead. You think they're gonna be able to keep Fournier? I think they are. Because I don't think Ainge does that move if he doesn't have the confidence that he'll be able to stick around, you know?
1: Yeah, Ainge don't do that move otherwise. Like um, but it's gonna cost, you know, you've got his bird right, so you can pay. You can go over the tax to keep him. But I think it's gonna be an I've got him marked down in my head as between eighteen and twenty two mil. And I do think that if you, if Kemba doesn't go anywhere then you're in a really hard spot with keeping Marcus Smart the following summer. I think that's a real big thing. So um, I think that's why a lot of people want to move on from Kemba to solidify an opportunity to retain Marcus Smart. But um, there's also a big, I think that if you keep Fournier and Kemba's market just isn't there, there's a chance that you end up having to depart from Smart towards the trade deadline. Uh, because Smart's gonna average, I think Smart's gonna bring in eighteen to twenty-two mil because his values just rising every game. He can play make, he can score from all three levels, he can defend his, his ass off, dude. Like it's gonna be tough to keep all of this roster together, which is why making some of these smaller fringe moves to really help with the cap space now could be what keeps Marcus Smart around. Then, so I think that's going to be important too.
0: So I know it's tough because Kemba makes so much money and you can't exactly give him up for nothing, because like you said, that makes Celtics worse. But where do your priorities lie in re-signing those three guys? I know Fournier is going to need a contract this season and Kemba won't need, or I'm sorry, Smart won't need one until next season. But if you had to rank them in terms of, okay, I'd rather sign this guy over this guy and this guy. And I know it's hard to play, you know, take this guy over the other guy blame or game, whatever it is, but Personally, I would say like Smart and Fournier. I'd rather reside above Kemba. Obviously, uh, I think that's not a hot take, but realistically, how plausible is that? You know what I'm saying? Like keeping Fournier and Smart with with also Kemba. Like, is, is that even possible
1: financially? Yeah, you've got the bird rights. You can go deep. You can go deep. I don't know where the the cutoff is there. Uh, I know the luxury tax and the repeat tax would absolutely destroy the um, the ownership team. That would be ridiculous money. Um, and Kemba's got a player option. that I, I can't see him opting out of. There's just, two, I think it's like what forty million dollar player option or something stupid. It's like who, who in their right mind turns down forty million dollars for one year's exactly. work? You know, <laughs> you offer me forty million dollars for one year's work. Well, let's do it. I don't care what it is. I'm doing it. Forty million bucks. <laughs> <You> uh, <laughs> so I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be one of those three are going to have to go, and it's not going to be Fournier because Fournier has just been bought in. Um, ideally, it should be Kemba, if we're being quite honest. But it's just, that's the hardest. Him. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to move Kemba for a, um, an invaluable asset, or are you going to move Marcus Smart for a haul? Do you know what I mean? You trade Marcus Smart, you're going to get back value back. And, you know, maybe it's in draft. Maybe it's in draft capital that you could swing later at a bigger deal involving Kemba. Or maybe it's a, another guy that can come in and make an instant impact. If you move Kemper, it's all negligible assets.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, that's all I had for you. Thanks for joining us, Sam. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up or are you, you all set nope. as well?
2: Nope, I'm good.
0: So, yeah, I mean, shout out, Adam. Thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything you want to say before we let you go here? I mean, I, you, man. I appreciate you. it. <laughs> Adam Taylor, NBA on Twitter. Is that correct? Making sure I got that right.
1: Yeah, dude. That that's me. That's me. You can find me there. I'm I'm usually ranting about something. For
0: sure, for sure. So uh thank you guys uh for listening. Thank you, Adam, as always, for joining us. You can follow me at Jacksonia MBA. Follow us at Panortown USA. Follow from the Raptors. That is just from the Raptors. Just Not those view. three words.
2: <laughs> no view. <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> no Not view, view from
0: No, no, just from the Raptors. Those three words. i uh, appreciate the support. And uh yeah, Sam, go ahead and wrap us up.
2: Yeah, again, thanks a lot, Adam. Thanks for coming on. You know, thanks for making us a match here for the podcast. We will be forever thankful for that. Make sure you listen to Celtics Blob blog blob podcast uh with Adam. He does that for them. Uh, you can follow him at Adam Taylor NBA again. Uh thanks so much for listening. I'm at Sam LaFrance, NBA. Follow all the other accounts Jack mentioned. Uh that's our show for today. Bye.